Ah, the Christmas season. After the anticipation of Christmas Eve and the excitement of Christmas Day, you can fully relax. The dinner was cooked and enjoyed, the gifts were exchanged and oohed and awed over, and hopefully you have some time off work to chill with your closest people. As you dip into your second bowl of Boxing Day soup, and let's be real, your third drink, you hear a banging at the door. Who'd be making all that ruckus? What on earth is going on? You open your Ring app to see who's at your front door and see a gang of disguised and rowdy people that you don't know. Do they have their faces covered in doilies? Are they wearing their underwear on the outside? You push the button to speak and give a tentative, Hello? To which the motley crew reply in unison, Any mummers loud in? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special Christmas episode of Some Weird Podcast. I am your co-host, Barry. And I'm your co-host, Chrissy. And when it comes to Some Weird, I don't think there's anything that's more Some Weird of a tradition where you dress up by putting sheets over your head, and you put doilies on, and you put your underwear on backwards, and you put mitts on your feet, and you go ask for booze from people. And that's what we're talking about here today. So we're going to be talking about the mummers. So, mummering in Newfoundland has been a Christmas time tradition since probably the early 1800s, I would say. Yep. Describe a mummer's outfit. A mummer's outfit is basically anything you can find in your house to try to disguise what you look like. They grab an old sheet and they'll cut eye holes in it, kind of like a ghost, but they'll put a hat on. And then they'll usually have like a, a plaid jacket or something like that and a pair of rubber boots on, usually on the wrong feet. But the goal of it is you try to hide your identity. So you go to like your neighbor's house, but they're not supposed to know who you are. And part of the game is they got to try and guess who you are. It's almost like trick-or-treating for adults. Nowadays, people are looking at it like, oh, the good old days of yore, of mummering, and it was so nice, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, the the hipsters are ruining it. I'm just joking. The gentrifying mummering. The Christmas mummering tradition is totally unique to Newfoundland. It doesn't seem to be happening anywhere else in the world. And if people who aren't from Newfoundland hear about it, they think it's really weird. Of course, Philadelphia has a big mummer parade as well, which is not exactly like the Newfoundland mummers. It's not like it at all, actually, but it does have similar roots. Yeah, no, when you first moved down there and you first told me there's a mummers parade in Philadelphia, I was like, oh, wow. And it's a completely different thing, right? It's a completely different thing. It started around Christmas time in the 1800s as well. And they were like the what was considered to be the quote-unquote lower-class people. So they would go into the streets and just parade and shout and be masked and shoot guns in the air as like a F you to the upper classes. Oh, really? Yeah. Just walking around shooting your guns in the air like the, the rich Texan on The Simpsons. Exactly. Eventually, they turned it into a point of pride for the city. And yep. every year since 1901, they've had the Philadelphia Mummers Parade on New Year's Day. It's a huge, huge event. And... You can't just be like, I'm going to be in the Mummers Parade this year. you got to be brought in by an already established Mummer. They're like the Masons or the Illuminati or something. You can't just uh, grab your sheet and your mother's 42 breath and go on out the door? You cannot. The costumes they wear are like super elaborate. Some of their costumes are up to $10,000. Oh, wow. My uh, sheet that I got the eyes cut out of this, this, <laughs> but 8000 I suppose. <laughs> it's a high thread count. <laughs> it's, it's Egyptian cotton. Yeah. 
Let's talk about where the mummers came from originally. Yep. I don't think anyone actually really, really knows. Like, there's no pinpoint of time. It's like, on Boxing Day of 1823, mummers started. Like, it's just kind of one of those things. I'm going to attempt to give as brief as I can history of how Newfoundland came to be settled in the way that it did. Okay. All right. So, in 1497, the explorer, John Cabot, discovered Newfoundland and claimed it for England. That was 500 years after Leaf the Lucky. And thousands of years after native people have already been living here. Yeah, there's enough fish sire to feed the empire for all time. That's where we see the heritage minute with the baskets that you just uh, talked about. They found all this cod and then the almighty cod would shape the history of Newfoundland for hundreds of years. They say that the British Empire wouldn't have lasted as long as it did if it wasn't for the cod in Newfoundland to help feed it, right? I mean, you, you need to feed an empire and apparently it was a major source of food. Well, I mean, just look at those baskets flown yeah. over with fish. So about for the first 300 years after the discovery, quote unquote, of Newfoundland, Newfoundland was considered to be like a major center, a hotspot for the transatlantic migratory fishery. So that means they didn't stay. They would just come back and forth to get their overflowing baskets of fish and, and bring it back to Europe. <laughs> come in for five minutes, get their fish and go on because that's all it took to get them all. That's right. <laughs> they just, just drag a whole bunch of baskets along. And that was it. No, they, they would usually come in spring and, and leave in the fall. Yeah. Okay. So they the Europeans would come from England, Portugal, Spain, France, you know, all those places. And they'd come in the spring. They'd fish, you know, all through the summer. They'd be like, this is great because Newfoundland in the summertime is great. They never stayed in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Winter's not, it's not as good. They might have changed their minds later on. Yeah. I think a lot of people will question when you think the summer's great too. But I actually like Newfoundland summer because it's yeah. not hot as balls. Yeah, I know, like, so many places around the world, I mean, you can't even go outside in the summertime, and here it's nice, you know. My blessed will die with the eat. <laughs> you know, they come from all these countries, and nobody really stayed. They just came to get the fish, and they go. And this was mainly dominated by England. So yeah. all these other countries are on the go, but England was, like, the main crowd for various and sundry reasons. Even kind of more granular than that, most of the English uh, migratory fishery was controlled by a relatively small group of Southwest English merchants. So you got a really small kind of elite group of people that are basically controlling the fishery, feeding the empire, as it were. Okay. And the labor for these Southwest English fish merchants came mainly from Southwest England and southwest ireland now this is actually important when it comes to the whole mummer thing that we're going to get into all right okay so in the 1700s migratory fishery sort of morphed into what was called a resident fishery and what happens here is the british government is like y'all can go over and fish and you can stay there but only so long as it serves the empire well for you to be there the queen who was the monarch in that time i think it was henry the eighth <laughs> I think he was quite a lot earlier than that. <laughs> oh, was he? He's the guy with all the wives, right? He's been married seven times before. Everyone was an Ennery. Ennery! Herman's Hermits. Yeah, <laughs> I got the record there. Of course you got the record there. You're such a spaz. I am. So I don't know who it was. The king or queen of England. Basically, he was like, you can go and you could stay there, but only as long as it serves us. Because they didn't want the Spanish guys to go over and set up shop and then they'd get advantage, right, if they were staying. Yeah. That led to having kind of a small-ish, permanent-ish population. And then somewhere between like 1780 and 1830, there was like a huge population boom in Newfoundland. 
the permanent population went from about 19,000 to 75,000. Okay. 1835, Newfoundland is granted title of official British colony. And then a bunch of immigrants come to Newfoundland. So who are the people that are actually going to go and settle there? It's going to be the people that have historically come and work there. People from Southwest England and people from Southwest Ireland. Makes sense. Most of these people come to stay in larger centers around Conception Bay, St. John's, um, yep. which is not in Conception Bay. And within Conception Bay, larger centers start to grow around Harbor Grace and Carboneer and Bay Roberts. So in these larger centers, what kind of happens here is they grow more of a middle class, but the outports outside of the major centers, they're still almost entirely reliant upon the fishery. And the way that those kind of outports are settled, they generally settle along with the people whom they already know. And the people that they already know are people that are from their original homes places. So you'll get communities that are almost exclusively settled by Irish people. And you've got communities that are primarily settled almost entirely by English people. And to further delineate that, the Irish are typically the Catholic and the English are typically the Protestant. There's a lot of turbulent times in the 1800s. There's a lot of turbulent times all the time. But in the 1800s, it's pretty rough. Newfoundland just becomes a British colony. There's a lot of downturn years in the fishery where it's not so great. And, uh, you know, you got these small outport communities who are aligned themselves with their own, quote unquote, their own people, their own religion. And when economically you're repressed... Sometimes that leads to frustration and and oftentimes violence. So you see a lot of almost like factions are created during these really hard, hard times. And you always want to turn to somebody else and blame them. They become your scapegoat. My fishing isn't so great this year because I got these Protestants next to me taking all the fish. Or I got these Catholics over here doing all of that. Or these English merchants who are ripping me off with my uh, fish prices. In terms of murmuring, though, the, the idea of murmuring is basically a way to entertain people during Christmas. The season traditionally was December 26th to Old Christmas Day. And what I always thought it was, certainly growing up, this is basically people dressing up. And, and the purpose it was, it was more of a fun thing as a festive type of thing. So you kind of dress up so that people can't recognize it. You'll put a, a hat on, you'll put like a sheet over you, you put mitts on your feet and all kinds of crazy stuff. And you'll knock on somebody's door, you disguise your voice and you say, Anywhere was loading! <laughs> a lot of times like men would dress like women and women would dress like men and you'd put a bunch of like pillows in your arse. The goal was that they know who you are, but you try to make it so they can't figure out who you are. The tradition was once the person at the house that you're visiting figures out who you are, you can take off your mask, you have a drink, and then you go to the next house. And by the end of it, you're pretty hammered and you can't talk normal anyway. <laughs> if you don't guess who it is, do the mummers just leave? I don't think so. I think they still get a drink and you just, you just you can keep this right up, right? The term visiting or the idea of visiting was always a big thing in Newfoundland around Christmas time. So during the Christmas season, you always go see your aunts and uncles and cousins and friends. And you take a day and you just kind of go to everyone's house. So this mummering tradition originated in England, Ireland, but somehow morphed into what it is in Newfoundland. It wasn't exactly this type of thing, but it dates back here to the 1800s. And uh, this was the thing we do. And like, and for me growing up, it was mainly what I saw in the Purity Syrup commercial or what I heard yeah. from the song, right? You, you thought it was this jovial thing where... Friends are hanging out and trying to put on little shows for each other and trying not to play a, a guessing game on who you are by dressing up like a fool. 
<laughs> you know what's what I always kind of thought weird? If you were in a small Newfoundland outport with like literally 200 people, how did yeah. you not know who the mummers were? It must have been pretty easy to figure it out. What if every single household was out mummering? There'd be no one to visit. It's, there's nowhere to go. That's right. There's, there's 12 houses in the community and everyone is roaming about. So that's kind of what people look back when they think about what mummering was, because it's really yeah. not done anymore. Um, yay, go around and visit people and so much fun. But there's definitely a dark side to mummering, and that's what we want to talk about. That's much more enjoyable. That's just some weird part of the podcast. Well, the whole thing is weird. I mean, like, let's just dress up in bed sheets and go around drinking it. <laughs> that's basically what it is. Yeah. Who's looking after all the youngsters? I don't know. Eh, probably no one gave a shit about kids back in nah, the... They're, they're all in bed then. They were all chimney sweeping and chopping yeah, wood right. and <laughs> getting abducted by fairies and whatnot. All that kind of stuff. But uh, most Newfoundlanders would think of that tradition of going around and visiting and dressing up and yeah. kind of having fun time or whatever. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of stuff in the Mon FLA about mummering in Newfoundland. And I would say this is the main paper on mummering. So it's Mummers on Trial. Uh, Mummering Violence and the Law in Conception Bay and St. John's, 1831 to 1863. And this was written by a folklorist called Joy Frazier. Okay. So she actually breaks it down into two main categories of mummers. The first is the indoor mummers or the visiting mummers. And that's the image that most people have. That's the ugly stick crowd. That's the ugly stick crowd. That's the friendly neighbors and they're getting drunk and they got the big mm. old bra and all this kind of stuff. Don't swing granny and burn up with the eat. Uh, but then the other thing which we tend to forget, we want to forget because we like to dust it over and pretend it never happened, is the outdoor mummers. That's Joy Frazier classifies these as the outdoor mummers. So these are the other mummers, the dark mummers. These are like a bands of roaming weirdos. <laughs> and their whole deal is I'm going to disguise myself so no one knows who I am. And I'm just going to cause shit. I'm going to fuck shit up. Yeah. Pretty much. And this usually happened, believe it or not, in the larger places like St. John's. Well, I guess you're more, you're more an anonymity. Like you said before, if you're in an outdoor commu community or outdoor community with 15 families, there's a good chance you're going to know who you are. But if you're in St. John's where there's a pretty decent population, you don't know everybody, right? So, so the outdoor mummers were like masked marauders. They were just going around to wreak havoc. There's another folklorist called Herbert Halpert, and he kind of kicked off the whole remember the mummering thing idea in Newfoundland. And these are the words that he actually uses to describe the mummers. This is a quote from his 1969 paper about the mummers. He describes them as uninhibited, frightening, violent, rough, boisterous, turbulent, aggressive, rowdy, and dangerous. So it's not you're like, any mummers loaded. Yeah. And is that what Sam and I was singing about? No, not at all. He's talking about outlaws and he says mummering has been around for hundreds of years in one way shape or form but it basically follows this pattern yay mummer so much fun violence occurs we're going to ban it and then a resurgence again yeah so we're coming up to the resurgence i think so, so there's, a, there's a big mummer violence going to happen shortly uh hopefully not hopefully we've uh, got past uh, all of that yeah so these outdoor mummers what kind of crimes were they like going looting or, or were they like stealing money or were they just kind of picking fights have you ever read the book or seen the movie a clockwork orange yes okay so they're mostly young men going yep. around just being bad for the sake of being bad and that's what i liken them to okay 
So they weren't necessarily going around like, I'm going to go visit house to house to get some purity syrup or, or drink. I think uh, purity should sponsor our show. I think they should too, yeah. Brought to you by Peppermint Knobs. <laughs> peppermint Knobs. They're knobs, but they're peppermint. <laughs> so yeah so the outdoor mummers they're not looking for peppermint knobs or purity syrup or anything they're just they're parading around the streets just because yeah. they want to be a nuisance and yeah. they're typically carrying weapons with them so if they see someone they're they're going to beat them up that's like the, what they want to do the typical weapons that an outdoor mummer would have with them are hatchets sticks rope swords or loaded guns swords yeah it's like indoor cats and outdoor cats. Yes. <laughs> Don't declaw the outdoor mummers. <laughs> Don't dehatchet the outdoor mummers. <laughs> I wouldn't say there's ever a reason for violence, but they had more of um, their worldview was more conducive to them to be violent. It's a perfect crime. I mean, you dress up so you don't know who you are, especially if you're in a big center. I mean, yeah, you know, St. John's, you know, at the time was probably, I don't know, 20, 30, 40,000 people. So you obviously don't know anybody and you're dressed up as per tradition for the holiday season and, and you can go hang around the church, wait for people to come out and start whacking <laughs> them with sticks. <laughs> Another thing they had, which they would sometimes use as a weapon or just as a thing to scare the shit out of people is a hobby horse. This has been around for like ever and ever. And in fact, back to Game of Thrones, the mummers that were on Game of Thrones, they had hobby horses. It was a mama's fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, hobby horse. So these are invented for the sole purpose of scaring people. Reading about these in Newfoundland, it seems like there's not a lot of oral history known right now about the hobby horse. It kind of died out long before the mummers and wasn't remembered as much as the mummering tradition. But they're trying to piece some stuff together. So I, I read an article in uh, Down Home. Um, Janice Stuckless, she wrote an article in Down Home about the hobby horses. She said the mummers, the outdoor mummers, would carry these hobby horses with there. And they were normally the horse head that's usually carved out of a junk of wood. But sometimes they were a full-ass real horse skull. Really? Mm-hmm. If you didn't have a horse skull handy... It would be other domesticated animals like a goat or a cow or a pig. This is some dark-ass shit here. If you didn't have a horse skull lying around... Which most people don't. Like a friggin' witch, yeah. a swamp witch that you are, you could use like a goat or a cow or a pig. So she says in her article that some people say that these animals were sacrificed to make the hobby horse, but I read that. I'm like, there's no way people are throwing away perfectly good animals to get their skull out. And then the very next line in the article was her saying, there's no way people are <laughs> sacrificing animals to get their skull out. So she thought that was pretty unlikely. But if the animal had died for natural reasons, or if it was one of these like a pig or cow and it was slaughtered, they would use the skull for their hobby horse. The hobby horse is basically it's a marionette made out of a junk of wood or an actual skull and the jaw is on a hinge so yeah. you move it up and down and the mummers would carry it around and they would use it to scare people with you know they would snap the mouth just to be assholes nice the closest thing that we have outside of newfoundland to the hobby horse is the welsh they have i had to phonetically write it marie Louise. that's a non-newfoundland hobby horse it's a welsh hobby horse okay Christmas time, they walk around with the Marie Lloyd, and it's kind of interesting, actually. The Marie Lloyd will go house to house and basically engage in a rap battle. So you go to the house, the person starts out the rap battle, and then the horse replies, and then they go back and forth, and whoever can't make any more in the rap battle, they lose, and then they go to the next house. I see. 
So, yeah, hobby horse, weapons, marauders. Why are you going to be shagging up Christmas? Yeah, it don't make any sense. Like, Christmas is supposed to be a good time. You hang out, you, you go visiting your family, you have a couple of drinks. Probably at that time of year, there's a lot of idleness going on. Yeah, it's probably not a lot on the go. You're not doing a lot of work because a lot of things shut down. Uh, mm-hmm. What a better time to dress up and play the game of, of the mummer. Growing up, there's three things I knew about the mummers. Number one was the Semini song where you got to kind of visualize what the mummers were and, you know, dancing around and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Number two was the like, purity syrup, and I got that from the purity syrup commercial. Mm-hmm. And number three was that mummering was illegal. And the reason it was illegal is because somebody got murdered in Bear Roberts. Everybody knew about it, but nobody knew the details of it. And I guess back in those days, the internet didn't exist. So I, I knew it, there was a thing, but I didn't ever know exactly the details of that story. I didn't either. All I knew is the mummers murdered somebody. That's it. So it was actually made illegal back in 1862, I believe. And it was illegal for a while, like over 100 years. I'm sure people still did it and everything else in some of the communities and all that. But yeah, it was actually illegal to do. These outdoor mummers were out causing trouble. And I guess as tensions between religious beliefs escalated, it got to the point where somebody actually took it a little bit too far and they actually got murdered somebody. Pretty famous story. But like I said, the details of it are pretty sketchy until... um, our uncle actually wrote a book about it. I wrote a book about the town of Bear Roberts, and one of the chapters specifically dealt with this murder. Next to the Semini song, I think this is the most famous mummer thing, the most mummer thing that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. The book is called Historic Bear Roberts, and it's written by Mike Flynn, so if you ever get a chance, you should check it out. There's a man by the name of Isaac Mercer, and he got uh, murdered in Newfoundland in Bear Roberts on December 28, 1860. Uh, he was attacked by six Catholic people, him and two of his brothers-in-law. So they were Protestants, and they got attacked uh, during the mummering season by a Catholic mob. Uh, so the attack happened on December 28th, and he actually died the following day from uh, injuries sustained from the attack. Were Isaac and his brother-in-laws also mummering, or what were they no, doing? No, they weren't. They were not. They no. were not. Okay. No, they were uh, They were out in the woods for the day, cutting wood or doing something outdoors related, I'm assuming. Poor Isaac was only married 15 days prior to his murder, which is kind of a sad story. And the funny thing, too, is the media coverage was very spotty for this. And this murder was not covered until New Year's Day. So it happened on the 28th and uh, was never spoken until in the media until New Year's Day. That could be a, a sign of the times where it probably wasn't as simple as writing a tweet and everybody in the world could see it. You figured that would be like the biggest thing that ever happened in the whole town. Yeah, but for whatever reason, uh, it never hit the media until uh, until January 1st the following year. Yeah. So investigators were sent to from St. John's to investigate this murder. And by January 15th, it still wasn't solved. So they decided that they would put a reward out for information leading to uh, the arrests of persons responsible. They ran an article in the Telegram and it basically said it was a reward of 100 pounds sterling. So what's 100 pounds sterling? Do you have any idea what the, what the value of that would be? Probably a few thousand dollars. Good payday. They ran an article basically saying a re- uh, the reward of 100 pounds sterling to anyone except the actual guilty parties. Oh, because you, you can't make money. Like, I was the one who murdered. <laughs> We're my money, bitch. Murder for hire. <laughs> they also offered a full pardon to anybody who was an accessory to the murder if they're willing to provide information. So not somebody actually performed it, but if they're hiding them out or something like that, they would uh, get a full pardon for it, right? Okay. By January 31st, nobody came forward with any information. Wow. The concern was, like I said, it was actually brought up in the House of Assembly, which is the government house for Newfoundland. How can a small community like Bear Roberts, where everybody knows everyone, nobody would know who did this murder? So what actually happened in this murder? What was the, what's the actual story here? 
Basically what happened was Isaac was returning home from a day in the woods with his two brothers-in-law. He went to his mother-in-law's and got a cup of tea. And uh, he was walking back. And they were attacked by six men dressed as mummers with pickets. Pickets? What's that? I'm assuming it's like, you know, picket fence. Oh, okay. Yeah. One of those pieces of wood with a point on it. The three men were beaten and Isaac was beaten so severely that he succumbed to his injuries the following day. He had a hatchet with him for working out in the woods. One of the, the mummers actually took the hatchet from him and actually hit him over the head with a hatchet. And that's kind of... The injury that caused caused death, right? It's not like they went hunting for him. No. Basically, it was. I think he was a victim of circumstance. He happened to be be there at that time. And it wasn't saying we're going to get this Isaac Mercer guy. After the attack, he was carried to his mother's house by two brothers-in-law. And he died the next day in bed. On February 20th, 55 days after the murder, three men were arrested. 32-year-old John Dawson, 37-year-old James Hederson. Uh, They're all brought to jail waiting trial. And Hederson actually died in custody. The cause of his death is unknown. There's three other men arrested for the roles in the murder, uh, Dennis Walsh, James, and Patrick Fleming. So again, there were six people that did the attack, so these were the other three people that were arrested. Okay. So they were all charged, and they were ordered to appear at trial. John Brown was a witness, and he came forth and made a statement about what actually happened during this event. Uh, he was Isaac's brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. This is John Brown's account. So they were at Wilson's Corner. I'm not sure where Wilson's Corner is in Bay Roberts, but that's the location they were. The six men were armed with pickets. They approached the mummer and tire to disguise their parents. Uh, one of them uh, got a hold of his Isaac's hatchet, which was on his back. Uh, Mercer was hitting the head with the hatchet. Brown said he was hit as well. He heard one of the masked actors say while he was hitting it with him, he said, Take that, you son of a bitch. Really? You know, obviously, they knew who he was and knew he was a Protestant and all that. So they said, well, you know, this is just too perfect. Uh, the man with the hatchet approached Brown, and Brown punched him. Uh, the six people started beating on with pickets, and eventually they ran away. So I, I guess they realized, you know, we probably got a bit too far, and they took off. Uh, he said he couldn't tell who they were because they were in masks, and he was too busy trying to defend himself. So he wasn't mm-hmm. trying to say, okay, who are these people or anything like that. He's just trying to prevent from getting the shit knocked out of him, right? And also, you said Mercer was 20 years old. Yep. And the assailants were in their 30s? Uh, one was 30, one was 28, one was 37. I mean, you're old enough to know better. Why are these older men... Beating on a kid? Yeah. The 37-year-old at that time was old enough to be his father. Yeah, for sure, yeah. What foolishness to be on the go. The religious hatred between the Protestants and the Catholics, I mean, that goes back to, you know, to, when did the, the actual great religious schism happen? All that shit went down in like the 1500s. And the thing is, is that in essence, the religions aren't very different. No. I'm a religious scholar. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There was, a, there, but for whatever reason, because they're different and people like hating things that are different, there was, there's always been uh, a very huge amount of tension between the Catholics and the Protestants. And I, I think what happened here is, you know, these bad mummers are out doing this and, and this one just went too far and then someone ended up getting hit with a hatchet and they're like, oh, fuck, what do we do now? And then the person ended up dying. So going back to the story, basically they got into a fight. Uh, Brown was telling the story. Uh, he fought off one of the guys when they were trying to attack him with the hatchet. They finally all ran away. He couldn't tell who he were because they were wearing masks and, and uh, he was trying to defend himself. So he was more busy concerned about not getting kicked in the head or smacked in the head than he was trying to figure out who these people were. So after the fight was over, they picked up Isaac and they tell he was obviously really damaged. So they put him like arm in arm, like threw him in between the two of the other guys and put him on his shoulder and they carried him home. He died at 11 o'clock the next morning. So uh, Jim went on to say, or Jim uh, Brown, uh, John Brown, excuse me, goes on to say that after the attack, another man... Isn't Jim Brown the uh, Cleveland Browns? Cleveland Browns, great, greatest <laughs> running back of all time. Uh, <laughs> but he goes on to say there was another man, William Snow, was present, and he didn't see him during the attack, but he, he happened to be there for whatever reason. 
this guy Snow said that he believed that John Dawson was the one that hit Mercer with the hatchet, and he recognized his voice. So again, that's how one of them kind of got caught, right? Okay. So uh, there's a couple other witnesses there. There's a guy by the name of William Bell. He was a local merchant. He was working at a store. Around 8 o'clock, he heard the porch door slam shut. So he went to investigate, and he saw another frightened person by the name of Josiah Calpin. He was holding on to the door, trying to prevent the mummers from getting in. Bell refused and wouldn't let these guys in, but they finally poked the door open, and they started poking this Calpin guy with sticks. Shit disturbing, basically, just kind of yeah. picking on the guy type of thing, right? Once these guys saw that he was there as well, they just took off because they want to get identified or whatever. There was a police officer in the town by the name of Charles Calpin. I don't know if he's related to this Josiah that they were harassing, but uh, he was the only police officer in town. He never heard about the crime until the next day, which is pretty interesting. This one police officer that was in town, when he heard about the crime, he went and saw the body and, and everything else. So he called the coroner. The coroner didn't arrive till January 1st. Maybe he lived far away. I'm not really sure why. But uh, when the police officer examined the body, he noticed a mark of violence by the right ear. So you can tell that he got bludgeoned there, right? Anyway, these guys got arrested because I guess based on these guys' statements and all that, they kind of got the names, figured out who did it. The two Dawson guys were in jail, waiting trial. And in March of 1861, they're still in jail, waiting trial. So three months they're sitting in jail. Okay. In St. John's? In St. John's, Her Majesty's Penitentiary. They had a court appearance in May for a preliminary hearing. It was delayed until November to the lack of a third judge. They wanted three judges there. There was only two, and the third one wasn't available. Because of this, their lawyer requested to get bail. They were granted bail, and they were let out until uh, November when the next part of the hearing would happen. So they had a hearing in November. Uh, they deliberated for five days, and the results are very sketchy. So it appears that they're originally charged with murder and it was ignored and they may have been charged with manslaughter instead. It sounds like a manslaughter case anyway. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Anyway, uh, there's no written evidence of what happened after, so we don't know what happened to these people. Like, after this point, there's no history as to whether they were acquitted, whether they were put in jail or whatever. But it is believed that they were acquitted because there's no documentation to support it, but there's some senses and stuff to say that they lived in Bear Roberts until at least 1864. This case, along with other cases of violence in Conception Bay Area, led to mummering being banned. And there's a law that came into uh, effect, or an amendment to a law. And it was the act to make further provisions to the prevention of nuisances, which was introduced to make it illegal. <laughs> nuisance sounds pretty uh, low-key. Like, You're murdering people. What a nuisance. So this is officially what the uh, law stated. Any person who shall be found at any season of the year in any town or settlement in this colony without a written license from the magistrate Dressed up as a mummer, masked, or otherwise disguised, shall be deemed guilty of a public nuisance and may be arrested by any peace officer, with or without a warrant, and taken before any justice of the peace in the district or place where such a person may be found and on conviction in the summary matter before the justice may be committed to a goal for a period not exceeding seven days unless they shall pay a fine not exceeding 20 shillings. So yeah, so basically what the law says, you're not allowed to wear a mask, and if you're caught wearing a mask or mummering, uh, you'll be arrested. And you got to pay a fine. Or committed to goal. G-A-O-L. What the hell does that mean? All right. Hang on. First of all, let's find out how much a shilling is. It's worth one-twelfth of a pound sterling. <laughs> so, not, if you're one of the fellows that uh, snitched on them, you can do it you know, 40, 60 times. <laughs> and uh, what was the other one? G-A-O-L? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Jail. <laughs> it means jail. So, a couple of things very interesting about the stories. Number one is... Why was it not reported in the media right away? And number two is what happened here? Like, what? Why was what happened to the trial? Was it was there some higher power? Did the Catholic Church get involved to try and cover it up? Oh, that's probably what happened. 
that was my assumption was that yeah, some religious figures got involved in saying we can't have this in the press. They've covered up other heinous stuff. Yeah, they killed the Pope apparently. What? In the Godfather, anyway, it's probably not true. Oh, <laughs> it's really interesting how there's no trace of what happened in this case, and you know, to, mm-hmm. if I were to conspiracy theorist, say, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but I definitely do believe that uh, for religious reasons or religious based, there's some cover up there for that. But if they were charged with like first degree murder and they were found not guilty of that, then that's the end of it. That doesn't mean they didn't kill him, yeah. right? Or they lost the civic suit. <laughs> They're the OJs of the Bay Roberts 1860s. They hired Johnny Cochran. He got him off. Um, or maybe it wasn't these people. Maybe there was enough reasonable doubt to say, yeah. listen, all kinds of people were roaming around dressed like mummers. Why do you think it was us? Yeah. Well, I guess because the, the witnesses said that they saw him there, right? But eyewitnesses are the worst. They are the worst. They offered like a fair amount of money at, at, for leads mm-hmm. and a full pardon and nobody came forward, right? So... There has to be court records somewhere mm-hmm. uh, of something like that, of a, of a murder trial or a manslaughter trial. So, I mean, we, we found one of a proof of the existence of fairies. We found one of the proof, oh, <laughs> of the court case, yes. The guy That's got right. paid because he said the fairies took him and he didn't come to work. There was records of that, and that was around the same time, I think. I mean, the big major things in life is usually not that difficult to dig up the records of. Birth, death, yeah. marriage, you know, murder. You think that would be a big Criminal one? Criminal cases, yeah. Yeah, matter of public record, right? Yep. The hard stuff is to find, like, who knows what a hobby horse is because there's no public record. It's just what you learn yep. through passing down or whatever. Did it all get destroyed in the Great Fire? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like I said, that story, though, that a mummer murdered somebody in Bay Arbors. Everybody in Bay Arbors knew that, but I don't think anybody actually knew the story until Mike actually uh, finally put a pen to paper on it. Yeah. It wasn't like a, a crime punishable of 20 years in the gulag or nothing, but... Mm-hmm. The murder of Isaac Mercer is definitely the biggest and most well-known case of violence of mummering in Newfoundland, but it wasn't the first or only. So in that same article that I read from Joy Frazier, some of the cases that she talks about were the same sort of thing where mummers were beating up other people, right? They just, they didn't die. So there's 20 known cases that she talks about aside from the Isaac Mercer case, 16 of which went to trial. And then even if you look at some of the art after the time, um, there's a 1913 painting by an artist called John W. Hayward called Christmas in the Olden Days. And the whole painting is mummers in St. John's on parade beating the shit out of somebody. So yeah, because of all this violence, it goes from getting together and walking around and having a good time to like, listen, you've ruined it all. Thanks a lot, jerks. Yeah, exactly. Put on a mask, go out and do whatever you feel like. Yeah, no one knows who you are, so give her. So no one knows who you are because you're masked up and you're probably have had a few drinks, right? So you got this liquid courage and you also got this idea of the us versus them. I'm going to get those Protestants or I'm going to get those Catholics and you're fueled up, you know, with all of these uh, collection of things and it's a recipe for a disaster and, you know, somebody lost their life over it. Yeah, which is really sad. But starting from the Semini song, and more so in the 2000s, there's been a resurgence in the celebration of the tradition of mummering in Newfoundland. Yep. So in 2009, in St. John's anyway, they started the annual mummer parade. Yes, yep. Have you ever gone to it? I have not. I think it's growing into a bigger thing. And I'm seeing a lot of parallels between like the Philadelphia mummers 
and the Newfoundland mummers in this sense, because the Philadelphia mummers started out as groups of mobs roaming the streets to shooting off guns and just trying to be bad for the sake of it, yep. to like uh, this organized parade and a point of pride for the city, and it's a whole big fancy thing, and it's really revered as a Philadelphia tradition, this mummers parade. Uh, and I've seen now since 2009 in Newfoundland, they started the annual Mummers Parade, which is, you know, you're still dressing up in your mother's big 42 bra, but it's really like a nod to the olden times and a celebration of that time. Yeah. No, I, I guess it's um, one of those things that were, it's like, I guess you look back at it, this is a real big part of our heritage and we should be celebrating it and uh, obviously celebrate the quote unquote good mummering or the outdoor, indoor mummering, I guess not. Yeah, not, not the thing. So yeah, yeah, they have a, a whole big festival and has a big parade. I've always thought mummer was a pretty cool thing. It's never something that I have done or probably would do. But I wonder if it was really, really super not done in Bay Roberts because, because of because of the murder, because of the shame. It's possible. If we have listeners out there that did grow up in a smaller place, like outside of the Avalon or outside of certainly Bay Roberts, and you remember mummers coming to your house, let us know. Let us know if that was a thing within in your living memory. Yep. So you could reach us at somewhereadpodcast at gmail.com or at somewhereadpod on Twitter. Let us know what you think about mummering. Uh, we think it's really weird. In terms of Christmas traditions, when you think about Christmas, you think about, you know, elves and Santa and gifts and visiting family and Turkey and, and New Year's and all that. But there's only one place in the world where that means putting a sheet on your head and cutting holes out of it and sticking on the thing and walking <laughs> around with a fake horse and grabbing a stick and taking sticking bottle caps on it and start playing it and getting drunk walking around houses. I mean, there's only one place in the world that does that, and that's here, right? So, and it really is a part of, of, of the tradition of Christmas, right? Yeah, even though we did not mummer. We didn't yeah. go mummering or jannying uh, when we were kids. That tradition of going house to house and visiting yeah. and always having something, a snack or something or a drink or something on the go for everybody. That tradition was definitely alive when we were children and probably still is so today. Yeah, for sure. Maybe that's what uh, mummering actually eventually morphed into dressing up and acting a fool to like just visiting. Just visiting, drinking, and then acting like a fool. So. Yeah, in that order. If you have any other insight or any uh, ideas about what you think might have happened to the accused in the Isaac Mercer case, other theories, that would be cool to hear too. It's a part of our history and uh, it really did help shape some of the ideas and definitely some of the laws in our province. I think um, the mummer would have been a great professional wrestler. Yeah. That'd be his gimmick album on the mummer. Oh, everybody has a Merry Christmas or a Happy Holiday if you don't celebrate Christmas. If none of all that, enjoy your time off just because it's a federal holiday. Yep. I hope you guys enjoy this Christmas episode of the Some Weird Podcast. And if we have one final thing to say about mummering in Newfoundland, Barry, it's some weird, boy. Some weird. And... Any mums loaded? <laughs> One day the ranger said they wouldn't land in foggy weather. We must have visibility 400 feet or better. We fly just like our Canada in fog we cannot land. And Santa says that doesn't dear. Let's move to Newfoundland.